I was feeling kind of low, so I went to see the doctor. He said, why do you think you're depressed? I don't know. Pandemic? My career went kaput? Isolation? No sex? Wildfires burning down my street? My dog just died? He took out a pad, wrote a script. Rx, laughter. Laughter? Okay, I said and went out and did what everybody else is doing in the pandemic. Started a podcast. Mine's called Women Write Funny. Celebrating women keeping humor alive in dire times. I'm your host, Dee Dee Bali. Each week, you'll meet funny female writers and performers as I interview them about their lives and work. Our guests will perform excerpts from their latest works. All my Women Write Funny guests share one thing in common. They share the same DNA as Thalia, the goddess of comedy. So experience the gene pool of women who can't help but write and act funny. Learn how they work and create, strive and thrive. And along the way, I'll share some of my work as a writer. So come on in, take off your shoes, and join us. Do you want a cocktail? Some edibles? An espresso? Okay, sure. I'll be right back with this week's guest. I'm really excited to welcome our first guest, Antoinette Lavecchia. I'm thrilled to be here. In fact, I don't know if you know, but you're our premier guest on Women Write Funny. But please don't let that make you feel too much pressure to be be brilliant and incredibly funny and insightful. But uh, if you could, that'd be great. (laughs) Okay, it's a deal. (laughs) Okay. Antoinette, for those of you who don't already know, Antoinette is, you know, that's a very French name for someone who's so Italian. How did that happen? Well, that's a great question because my name is Antonietta. And when I was in kindergarten, the very first great villain of my life, Mrs. Crow, decided that no one could pronounce my name and rechristened me Antoinette in the classroom and told me to go tell my immigrant parents that my name has now changed to this very French sounding name. And my parents believed that anyone who was already speaking English knew better than they. My parents called me variations of my name, but mostly Antonietta, Titina, Donye, Dunye. There's so many variations. I love and that. Dene. What was that last one? And the net, which is their version of Antoinette. Well, I'm going to try and introduce you now, but I think I'm just going to call you Antoinette, if that's all right. <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> so Antoinette is an award-winning Broadway, off-Broadway, and regional theater actor. And as an actress, she's appeared in sitcoms like Mad About You. She's been featured in movies and TV shows, dramas and comedies. And she's a writer, a playwright, and a stage director. But most important, she shares the same DNA as Thalia, goddess of comedy. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that your DNA results came back to the studio this morning. Did you realize no. it? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I think we should get serious now. <clears throat> okay. So what's the earliest memory you have of being funny, of making someone laugh by something you did or you said? Oh, my gosh. Well, I do know 
that when my mom, I was born in Italy, and when my mom was cleaning the apartment that they shared with my dad's parents, she had to do everything. And she would put my brother and I on the terrace with toys and pillows. And I would entertain, I was one and a half, two years old. I would entertain the people walking down the street. And do you remember when you were at family gatherings, what it felt like once you knew you you had the power to make people laugh, what that felt like? I was just writing about this the other day, actually. I think Italian heritage has this innate quality of joy to it in the food and in the speaking and the way we use our hands to speak and gesture. Our family gatherings would always involve about 40 people. And there was always an audience. And I didn't have to hang out with my parents and my older brother who drove me crazy and who I drove crazy. So I had second cousins and all of these other adults. And I would imitate my mom. I'd imitate my brother. I just found crazy ways of making people laugh. And it was very addictive. As if I discovered, yes, you you said it. It's a superpower. There is a superpower to it. When, when somebody laughs at something you did, it just kind of, it's such an electrical charge in your body and you want to do it again. You just want to do it again and keep doing it. So I, as a child, longed for these family gatherings where I had an audience of at least, you know, a, a three dozen people. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a sold-out house in a lot of off-Broadway shows. That's right. So it's interesting that you said you imitated your mother at this very young age, because I don't know if our listeners know, but Antoinette's family, and, and more precisely your mother, she's the muse or the source of your long-running acclaimed off-Broadway one-woman show called How to Be a Good Italian Daughter, in parentheses, in spite of myself. My idea for that was I need to heal my relationship with my mom. Now, I had been imitating her to my friends, forget about family, but to my friends as a young teenager, when that kind of relationship between mother and child gets really gritty. (laughs) And I would imitate my mom in telling the stories of the fights between us. And people would laugh. And when I got older, I got divorced and we had real big issues to deal with. I decided I need to write a show that heals this relationship. So that was my intention. So I filed that in the back of my head and I just would go to these workshops. Catherine Kerr had a weekly gathering. This is after I got out of graduate conservatory at NYU. And I'd improvise in my mother's voice or do scenes between me and my mother just by myself. I began to piece them together because the monologues that included me and my mom, they sat in this bowl of her disapproval of my life, that kind of universal mother-daughter thing. But I had that immigrant experience as another layer. It was very specific to my life, but it's a universal theme between parents and child, especially mothers and daughters. So that's where it came from, my struggle with my mom. And of course, when I performed it, people fell madly in love with my mother. People kept saying it was Valentine to my mom. And so what's so interesting is my mother, before she saw it, she's like, you make fun of me. 
I don't like you make fun of me. And I said, Ma, this isn't me making fun of you. This is me celebrating you. And she saw it many times off Broadway. But there was one performance where she said she didn't want me to introduce her before the show or after the show because I've, I had done that in the past. She felt embarrassed. So this one show, I didn't introduce her. She was there. And I was told later that she was in the lobby waiting for me to exit. And all of these women were saying how much they loved the mother. Did the mother know how much the daughter loved her? Did the mother know? Asking themselves all these questions. And my mom was overhearing them and said, I the mother, I the mother. (laughs) So they all gathered around her. I mean, she's the superstar of my show. I love that. It makes me think of the wonderful parades in Little Italy in downtown Manhattan when they'd have the saint. And your mother should have been on the parade float instead of the Virgin Mary. It should have been your mother being carried through the streets of Little Italy. Did you ever do that? (laughs) I love that. I never did that. I'm sure she would love that. There is a long history of miracles done by the Virgin Mary in our small town in Italy. And I'm sure that if that was a miracle that my mother could choose to live through, she would choose that to be made a saint, to be celebrated as a holy icon. So do you come from a family of storytellers? Yes. In fact, my mother is a phenomenal storyteller. And she's actually my connection to these family stories of generations and generations before us. She has the memory of an elephant. This woman can remember anniversaries of people that are not related to us, birthdays, anniversaries, hospitalizations. Her mind is an encyclopedia of information. And so lucky for me, because so many of my aunts and uncles have passed and my grandparents, of course, and I did get to know them because we did go to Italy very often when I was younger. But my mom can really spin a yarn (laughs) and she has given me such juicy, juicy stuff. Sometimes she doesn't like telling the more upsetting stories, but the older I get, she's a little more free with those stories that don't exactly show this particular family member in a positive light. So how does it happen that your mother begins to reveal stories of her life and the village life? Do you interview her or do you just sit there having gnocchi and it kind of spills out over cannoli and a cappuccino? Gosh, I wish it was that organized. We're usually complaining. Just recently I asked about my first memory, my first ever memory was on the TWA coming to this country. I was two and a half. So there was one detail I wasn't quite sure of. And I asked her recently and she gets so frustrated. So the process is I ask her a question like, why did I leave your arms on the plane? Why was I walking down the aisle alone? And she's like, which means who remembers? So we go through that process of her getting really angry at me. And then slowly the information comes out. So there's no peace. There's no cannoli. There's usually a little bit of insults directed my way and anger about her age. And she can't remember things anymore. And then she gives me detailed information of exactly what happened. 
So how do you take that moment, distill it, and then begin to work on it? Do you go home and write a few things on a piece of paper, or do you just let it go through your body and process viscerally until it seems it's time to express it on paper? That's such a great question because sometimes I will ask her these questions while I'm writing something. And then I actually get really angry with myself when my parents have this hysterical dialogue that I'm witnessing and it's so brilliant and it's so ridiculous. And I say to myself, write that down. And I never do. And then I can't quite remember it the way that they had originally done it. But in terms of that story about my first memory, I'm currently creating this piece called Village Stories, and I needed some detail work on it. Some of those stories that ended up in my one-woman show that I had done off-Broadway at the Cherry Lane studio, those stories are so vivid in my mind that I would share with friends, and I would share them with friends over and over and over again until... I could just write them down. That's the kind of storytelling my family does. My grandmother never wrote. She was illiterate, but she had great stories herself. And she just told them over and over again, which is exactly what my mom does. And that's what's so beautiful about oral storytelling. There's a rhythm in the way they tell it. New details come in. There's an organic quality to it that I adore. And when I improvise, I usually improvise with what I remember. And I find that I'm much more creative and funny and connected to that divine goddess of comedy in a way that sitting down on a chair at a desk, just it's just not the same. So improvisation has been a huge factor in my creating material. Although nowadays, there's no audience with the pandemic. So I'm trying things out with my husband and I, I've been Zooming things, as you know. It's a new way. It's different, but it's still valid. I was wondering if you would like to share a little of one of your monologues, either from uh, a good Italian daughter or from Village Stories? Well, I have one from Village Stories, if you'd like me to do that. (laughs) That would be great. Now, do you need to go into the dressing room and change it all? No, no, it's it's in me. (laughs) Does it need any setting up? Other than the fact that this is a 75-year-old woman, uh, Italian immigrant, and my mother. And this is a monologue I wrote around the time last year of the BLM protests. Black Lives Matters protest. And I interviewed my mom because I know that when we came to this country in 1969, there was a huge civil rights movement. Major milestones had happened with Martin Luther King and Kennedy, the two Kennedys dying, being assassinated, all of them being assassinated. And I found that so interesting that when we came here, It was after all these historical events, the moon landing and and Martin Luther King's assassination. And so that's when I I interviewed her about that. And this is the monologue that came out of, of that. So whenever you're ready. Okay. I no sleep no more. Almost 50 years now. I sleep maybe three, four hours a night. I come to this country and I no sleep no more. What are you going to do? 
So when I no sleep, I pray for my family, for the world. I pray for everybody, even my daughter boyfriend and his children. But I can't pray all the time. So when I no pray, I worry. Last night, I worry all night about the back door my daughter buy for her house. She tell me, it's so nice, nice, so glass. I see everything outside. I say, you crazy. Anybody can look inside. Animali, people, they do bad things to you. It's dangerous. Oh, she never think, my daughter. She say, Ma, you got to stop. You scared of everything. Yes, I scared. You see how many bad things happen in this world? Life is too easy for my daughter. And you want to know why it's so easy? Because I work my whole life like a chooch, a donkey. My arm and my leg, they hurt me all the time, the sacrifice I make for my children. They say, I know, Ma, thank you, thank you. But they don't understand. I was 21 years old. Already I have two children. I live with my husband and his parents. I do everything for them and I know say nothing. I never complain. Every day, they go to work in the field and I work in the home from when I wake up to when I go to bed. <laughs> you think it's easy with two small babies? Oh. One day, my husband, he said to me, we got to move to America. He no find work in Paese, no work anywhere. I can't say nothing, he's my husband. I got to do everything he tell me to do. He make me leave my parents, my brothers, my sisters, nipoti, tutti. The first five years in America, ero morta. I was dead. Everywhere I look, I know understand nothing. I know speak English. I know read English. I don't know anybody. So I stay home. I take care of the children, my husband, and then his father come. And then his uncle, his cousin. And they all live with us. So they work here in an apartment this big. <laughs> Who you think take care of everybody, huh? Hmm. Oh, what are you going to do? We live right next to the train track and the train go by day and night. And every time the train passes, the TV moves from over here to over there. <laughs> and we watch the television like this. Huh? Oh. <laughs> and then when I watch the TV, I don't understand nothing. You know, the first time I understand all the English on the television was Kunta Kinte. Do you remember that movie? I understand everything. Everything they say, everything they do. And after five years, ero resuscitata. I come back to life. I still can't believe I come back to this country by myself with two small children. My daughter asked me, how you do? You scared everything. I hold one big suitcase with this hand, you with the other hand, and your brother hold your hair with his hand. <laughs> Era Piccolino, only three years old. We get on the, what do you call it, TWA, what, WTA, the big plane. We come here, 1969. So much happened in America. King assassinato, Kennedy assassinato, the moon. She want to know if I remember. Ma chi sapeva niente? I don't know nothing. All I do is I work all the time. I, I think my husband saw the moon. He, he came before us to America, but not me. Oh, hey, wait a minute. I remember the day King died. You know why? 
that time in my paese, I, I don't know nothing about America, nothing. But this day, my mother-in-law, whew, she was a funny lady. <laughs> her husband buy her boots to work in the field. Uh, they were peasant, heavy. And my father-in-law, her whole life, he make her work. He was not right. He tell her she have to wear the boots every day to work in the field. And they hurt her feet so much. One day in Paese, and my mother-in-law and me, we pass some Paisani talking and we hear them say in Italiano, somebody kill King, somebody kill King. And my mother-in-law say, oh, I wish somebody killed Pasquale for buying me these boots. <laughs> oh, she make you laugh. Oh, she had a hard life too. Oh, before. I keep everything inside, but now I got to let everything out. I still do everything for my husband, but now I talk all the time. I never let my husband forget what he do to me and what I do for him. And when I talk, me sento libera. I feel free. I don't sleep no more, but maybe tonight I sleep. <laughs> So I can't talk. You're so sorry. Oh, oh you know, thank you. Thank you. Well, when I gather myself, let me say, you know, you're you're so amazing. Your comedy is the kind that I love and truly resonate with because it's funny, moving, truthful, absurd, painful, and joyful all at once. Can you talk about that seemingly disparate mix of comedy and tragedy that really is at the heart of your work? Well, thank you, first of all. That's so kind and generous. I find that my taste runs the same as yours. What I really respond to when I watch something, in terms of comedy especially, if it doesn't ring true, I don't find it funny. If it's a surface kind of sketch, it doesn't move me. It's kind of like a snicker, but what I want to convey is this world I come from, which is so enmeshed with tragedy and comedy living in the same moment. You know, what they say about Chekhov, it's you're laughing and crying at the same time. But there's a truth to that. And I find that I love living in that place of the tragicomic, that thin line where you don't know whether to laugh or cry or you're crying while you're laughing. It is my world. It is how I, it's how I move through the world and how the people closest to me move through the world. So I don't know if that answers your question, Dee. Dee. It makes me want to see if I can get a nationality transplant. <laughs> I'm half Irish and half French. I mean, the Irish have a bit of that, but well, this is so wonderful talking to you and you are so generous sharing that incredible new monologue for your upcoming show. So before we conclude, is there a favorite recipe that you'd like to share? My favorite recipe happens to be my mother's basic sauce, her basic Italian red sauce, that once I mastered it, I was in bliss because for the Italian child, their own mother's sauce is like breast milk. And you recognize it immediately. You know which one is your mother's. And when I was able to replicate it, I was on top of the world. And it's very easy. You put in the base of the sauce is olive oil, just a little bit of garlic, very little, and you don't want to burn the garlic. 
Then you add some onion and carrot, which makes it sweet, a little bit of celery. If you want to make it even sweeter, you add a little bit of red pepper. These are all diced small. And then you let that cook a little bit. My mom has a garden and she grows tomatoes. I do not. So I go and buy those canned tomatoes. The San Marzano tomatoes are the best kind. I use one can of those and my mother, she'll add a little bit of tomato paste and she will add meat. And if you want to add meat, you cook the meat beforehand. Personally, do not eat red meat, but I will buy like an Italian chicken sausage or turkey sausage. You cook that up. Once that's cooked, you add that to the sauce and then you add the herbs later. When the sauce is almost finished, you add the herbs. You add a little bit of kosher salt and that's it. I feel like I'm going to make that either tonight or this weekend because I have some Trader Joe's frozen raviolis. Oh, perfect. So for those who'd like to learn more about you and your work, how can they find you? Well, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I do have a website. It's AntoinetteLavecchia.com. Do you want to spell that out? Sure. A-N-T-O-I-N-E-T-T-E-L-A-B-E-C-C-H-I-A.com. Hey, you did Thalia proud. Thanks so much for being here. And now a big shout out to you, our listeners, for being here, laughing and spreading the word. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button. Visit our website, www.womenwritefunny.com. Sign up for satisfying stuff like writing contests, blogs, and news about our upcoming Burning Woman Festival with laughter instead of sand. Women Write Funny theme music is by composer Doc Steinweiss, also known as Leslie Steinweiss, who writes sonatas for saxophone in his spare time. Today's episode was written and hosted by Didi Bali, co-produced by Didi Bali and the Flying Poodle Ranch Production Please join us again next week for another episode of Women Write Funny.